one of the best food scenes in the country, right here in Minnesota. And nobody knows it like magazine food critic and James Beard Award finalist Jason DeRussia. Now bringing you the most interesting people and hottest trends. Let's listen in as DeRussia eats. Hey, it's Jason DeRussia, the DeRussia Eats podcast, ready to rock. Thank you so much for downloading, for streaming, for listening. Uh, we've got a great podcast for you today. We're talking about barbecue, and we're talking about meat. And we're doing it from two different perspectives. One, the perspective of a pig farmer. Yeah, you can't have great food at local restaurants without great farmers working hard to bring incredible flavors to life, whether it's a vegetable farmer or a pig farmer. Mike Patterson will share his story from down on the farm. And then perhaps uh, one of my favorite local chefs, Thomas Boehmer. Maybe you know him from Revival, Fried Chicken, Corner Table was how I first met Thomas. Actually, he and I judged a pie competition together. Thomas is well-known for barbecue, for fried chicken, but that guy knows pie crust. can tell you that much. So enjoy our second episode of the DeRussia Eats podcast. All right, I promise you we didn't set up this segment on Election Day for me to make some sort of cheap joke about politicians and pork But we do have a pig farmer in studio today. A little election day break for you as DeRussia Eats rolls on on this Thursday. DeRussia Eats is brought to you by the Minnesota Pork Board. And this week, I thought it would be fun to visit with farmers. Today, we have a pig farmer. On Thursday, we'll have a a cattle farmer, a rancher. So we're, we're talking about food as we always do in this time slot. Uh, But to me, you can't talk about food without thinking about where that food comes from. And I'm so glad to have Mike Patterson with us in studio up from Kenyon. Mike. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate you having me out here. I I love uh, your story because you really, like so many Minnesota farmers, are carrying on a family tradition of farming, right? Yeah, definitely. We've uh, we're kind of four generations in this area. You know, I, I go back. I'm sure I'm sure those people were farmers too. But in the in the Kenyan area, kind of four generations, and my kids would be the fifth. Crazy, right? Yeah, yeah. It's pretty. Uh, it's pretty awesome tradition to to carry on. You're uh you're a pig farmer. You have how many how many hogs? So we've got about four thousand uh, hogs that we that we have three thousand at our house, and then we got a thousand that another producer uh, raises for us. So. Um, but yeah, we've got about 4,000 on feed kind of at any one time and, and we sell about, you know, that goes through about two and a half times a year. So we sell about 10,000 head per year. Oh, wow. And, and in the scheme of things, does that put you, what, is that big? Is that small? Pretty small. That's yeah, that's, that's pretty small. We're, we're part of a co-op. So we've, uh, uh, there's a number of producers, about a dozen families that kind of work together. So our, uh, our, our facilities, we've got some, we've got some, uh, Advantages of size and scale, sure. but yet we're still kind of independent uh, producers, but we're, we're working together. Mike Patterson is a hog farmer, and uh, you actually were recognized. I didn't even know this, but I, I Googled you before. Right, you know, yeah. you got to do a little research. Uh, but you were the uh, Minnesota Pork Promoter of the Year in the middle of really a challenging time for for everyone, but for farmers as well, trying to figure out during COVID how things were going to go. Were you, you know, demand demand 
was I don't know if it's ever been higher as it was because so much, but in a different way because people were buying it, uh, buying pork to make at home instead of getting pork chops at a restaurant. Right, 2020, the pandemic. You know that that year was just so strange. Uh, you know, I I stepped up and and definitely helped. Uh, you know, to get deliver the message of of producers around Minnesota and. And yeah, if you Google me, there's uh, there's quite a few hits. Out <laughs> what there. was the hardest thing during COVID for you? Probably right away. Um, you know, our we were supposed to sell our first load of hogs um, out of this out of that group on Wednesday. The plant closed on Sunday, uh, so like three days before we were supposed to sell our first first batch. The, pl- uh, the plant so our, was our closed. Barns, right, the plant was closed and stayed closed for a month. Mm. And and our barns were full, and of course. there's there's the production is a system, and that system was coming along behind all the all the pigs. So before the, new, were, the, the baby pigs were ready to take over, yes, a, except the pigs that were ready to go to market were there was no uh, a processor to send them to. Ex- exactly. Yep. So our our processor Smithfield was closed for a month. What we did was we called every local. Um, local uh, locker plant and booked huh. as many dates as we could. Uh, we worked with the, um, we worked at the university of Minnesota to uh, donate some donate pigs to the second harvest uh, uh, heartland food shelves. Um, so we sold about 600 head through those channels, which oh, is, wow. you know, one, two, three, four at a time. You know, I had, I had people oh, Facebook, you know, Facebook wow. messaging me for, right. a, for a pig. And yeah, it was, uh, it was it was pretty strange, but right away it was was a real challenge. Just on the uncertainty, and then the fact that everything was blocked up. Right. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and then things sort of stabilized. It, they did. Yeah. So uh, you know, a number of number of pigs, uh, many many pigs throughout Minnesota had to be depopulated and not used. They they just were composted because yeah. there was nowhere to go with them. Right. Um. So, but we were very fortunate at our farm. Uh. We we made it out by about probably three four days. Is all wow! It was that close. Yeah, it was that close. Yep. Uh, we're joined by Mike Patterson, one of uh, many family pig farmers all throughout Minnesota. What are some of the misnomers out there? What do you wish people knew about uh, being a pig farmer? Well, I think uh, you know, uh, I want people to know how much we really care about the product that we're producing. That you know, we really think about that every day. In terms of you know what are we doing for the care of those animals to make the best product that goes onto their plate and the, and their tables because that's I mean we we put it on our tables for our families as well <clears throat> and um, you know the you mean uh, like flavor or what are you thinking about like think cuts just, flavor you know, just the, so for us you know it's it's health. care of that animal the the proper feed nutrition um, you know their health uh, just everything that we can do to provide the best environment to to you know to in to in the end, to provide the best product uh, for the grocery store yeah. and the table. And, and you know, a lot of people think, well, maybe they see the, the big name, the Smithfield, the Hormel, the Tyson, you know, and they think, wow, that's, you know, that's commercially raised somewhere. But really, Factory I mean, that's, farm, yeah, you I mean, hear that's, that phrase. Right, right. Yeah, and that one always that is hurts. a little bit of a, yeah, it is. You're because, like, come look at my factory in <laughs> right, Kenyon. Right, right, exactly. We, you know, we're we're a family. We're, we're raising hogs, um, you know, in our in our production system, we empl- employ some people, but you know those those employees. We care about those as well for you know for our farm. Uh, I mean, we're pretty much a family family operation at our at our house, as are ninety six 
plus percent of farms in Minnesota. So you do have four kids, so you did create your own little workforce. Yes, right, the, absolutely. The true yeah. tradition of <laughs> yep. farming. We got Maddie at twenty three, and and Isabel at twenty, and Julia is a senior this year, and then we've got Leah at eight. So uh, I will say that. Uh, Babies do come from Hawaii, so if you uh, – <laughs> my wife and I took a trip to Hawaii, and uh, we kind of came back with an extra. Yeah. So. <laughs> hey, look at that. Everything still works. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. It was a little surprise, but we love her. <laughs> I have a sister who is 14 years younger than me, and that also was – same parents. Everyone's like, you see the, the first three kids and then the, the baby. That's the spread for our yeah for our oldest. Well, it our was youngest gr- is almost nine. So it yeah, was great. Yeah, that's I, the spread. I yeah. loved having a having a baby <laughs> sister. But then it was strange as an adult to go to her wedding and think like, gosh, I don't know any of your friends because you grew up. We grew up separately. You know, I was right. an adult. Right, very, right, very yeah. strange. Yep. Mike Patterson's a, a hog farmer uh, down in uh, Kenyon, and I, I we're going to take a break, and I want to ask you uh, first of all, what is a typical day in your life like? And then I also want to ask you about the fact that so many more people have been cooking uh, at home and the fact that Minnesotans, you know, uh, flavors change and people are eating and using pork in different ways. And I know you have a little test that we're going to do after the break as well. So we'll talk about some of that as we continue to Russia Eats with Mike Patterson, brought to you by the Minnesota Pork Board. Uh, right here on News Talk 830 WCCO. Derusha Eats, brought to you by the Minnesota Pork Board on Thursday. Well, I hope the pork board won't be too offended that I'm bringing in a a beef farmer. No, we love uh, we love our we love our <laughs> uh, beef producers as well. You know, you all are facing a lot of the same issues. Mike Patterson uh, sells about ten thousand head of hogs every year. A pig farmer in Kenyon. Family farmer, fourth generation. Yeah, uh, yep. dairy farm uh, in the in the uh, background as well. Yeah, both my uh, both my grandparents uh, they dairy farmed, and my dad kind of my mom and dad they kind of struck out into hogs. So what uh, you know when you look at the growth of different uses for uh, pork? Well, you just brought a, an example in of some different types of pork, ground pork that you can turn into meatballs, right? Right, I think just ground pork doesn't doesn't maybe get a lot of play. Uh, you know, ground pork burgers are great. I've I've kind of brought in some different uh, different meatballs. Um, yeah. You know, we got a mushroom and Swiss, a Swedish meatball, Italian, and I just I just use the plain ground pork, and then I season it myself. So you can find ground pork at the grocery store or the butcher shop. Yeah, but absolutely. a lot of times people don't. Other than making sausage, maybe you don't know exactly what to do with it. Right, exactly. People think it's maybe just for breakfast, but uh, right. no. I, I mean, we use it. Uh, you know, we use it in a variety of different ways. I made uh, I made mushroom and Swiss um, pork burgers last night. Mm. Uh, just you know, just make those, just form them up into patties. So just, just with little, ground pork, just straight ground pork. Form no that season, into a patty, not, not sausage. Just form that into a patty. I put right. the seasoning. I, I use like a season all. Uh, okay. You know, it's uh, uh, simple, like yeah. Lowry's seasoning yeah, Lowry's sauce or, yeah, or exactly. salt, yeah. any kind of seasoning. Something that seasoned salt, and then just fry the burgers, and then you know, little little Swiss. I like Havarti a little better than Swiss, but that's Dang, the yeah. way. So right. <laughs> I used Havarti and uh, and Havarti would be it, really good. Yeah, it is, it's excellent with pork. Yeah, so those pork burgers are great. You know, we um, we throw those on the grill. 
There again, you could do lemon pepper. It's, it takes to so many different flavors. So, yeah. um, you know, you can and do very barbecue. cost effective too, right? If you're buying that ground pork, it's a nice way to go. Yeah, right. Absolutely, it's very, uh, very cost effective. So that's that's the thing. Pork is, uh, you know, more cost effective than beef for your, you know, for your consumer's dollar. Yeah. Um, and we I can- went to High V the other day and bought straight up boneless pork chop, a buck a. A chop, I couldn't believe it. Like, yeah, they're uh, they're like a buck. If you buy the whole loin at Sands or Costco, right. I think they're like a buck eighty nine or a buck ninety nine, less yeah. than two bucks a pound. So, and and the reason kind of for that is because everybody's all about the ribs. So if you think of like a a bone in pork chop, you've got the if you've got the the small if you got the T bone kind of pork chop, you've got the small end that's the tenderloin, and you've got the uh, the loin is the bigger part. Well, the baby back rib is what's in the middle. So that's uh, ribs. There's such a such a big ran demand for so ribs. much demand for ribs yeah. for barbecue. That that pork loin is almost uh, you know it's almost a throwaway cut. I mean that's why it's cheap. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah, but it's so versatile. I mean you could right. use it as a roast. You could cut it into chops. You could slice it thin for stir fries or you know all sorts of different things. So Mike Patterson, a pig farmer. You've got four kids. Yep, four girls. Yep. Is there hope that uh, the girls will take over the family farm? Well, we'll see. You know what? What I've um, did what you I've, think you were going to be in the same business at sixteen? I said definitely no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but then by eighteen, I was already uh, a member in our cooperative. So uh, you know, I, I saw some opportunity there. So yeah, I actually actually built a barn and we started in I suppose ninety seven. So I was twenty when we finally uh, when we finally did our our had our first. Uh, our first group, but yeah, I, yeah. Um, I earlier on I, I thought maybe not, but so for our girls, um, you know, what I want to do is leave the door open. You know, if it's if the opportunity is there for them uh, to come back in, we're definitely, but not the obligation. You yeah. know, to make sense. Uh, yeah, so we're so we'll leave that open. Typical day on the on the farm. So okay, so I. Um, so I am a full I full time work full time off the farm, which is which many farmers do. Uh, I work for Compere Financial. I'm a kind of a loan, an ag loan officer. You're an ag loan. Yep, ag yep. loan officer. Um, so I do get some help from my sister uh, on the farm, but really, for our stage of the production is just the finishing stage. So we get them at about 50 pounds, and we take them up to finished weight of around 280 or 285 pounds. Um, so at that point, there the demand for care is lower. But really, it's about um, and there's a lot of automation. So sure. you know the the manure goes through the sl- there's a slatted floor where it's got the manure just kind of drops through and is contained in a big cement pit underneath. And then there's uh, we've got feed and water available at all times uh, that we've got you know that's kind of autom- on an automated system. So really, a day you know for me looks like uh, going through each pen, really kind of laying eyes on each pig and just making sure that they're. You know that they're healthy. That all the systems that we have for feed and water delivery are working properly. Uh, any of our equipment gating is all in order. So really, it's doing that every day for every pig, just making sure that everything is is uh, is all right. And then if we need to do some additional care or um, some sort of intervention, then we uh, then we go ahead and do that. Whether it's veterinary care or whatever the case right. may we, be. Right. We work closely with our veterinarian. Uh, I actually just sent her a text here. Uh, a little bit earlier today, we got a little bit of a cough starting in in one barn, so it's it's something that we're going to kind of watch. Um, so in this case, it's probably flu, right? Uh, which really isn't going to respond to um, 
you know, an antibiotic, which we, we do use antibiotics, but, um, you know, we make sure that there's no, uh, no residue that there, that the withdrawal period has been, has been met before we, we sell any animals. But, sure. um, but this know. is when it comes to sort of virus control, uh, you know, and people have heard about the swine flu, but that's, this is a, uh, is that your, the number one concern? Well, no, influenza is pretty common, but, you know, herd health is, is very important. So you'll see at most farms that there's a, most, most hog farms, there's a sign, you know, stop, don't enter because, right. you know, just foot traffic where, where other people have been, biosecurity is, is very important because of. We because can of bring the, the stuff in there. Yes, right. Without, right. without even necessarily knowing it. So, yeah, yeah so that's a, that's a big concern. Mike Patterson, hog farmer. From Kenyon with us here on CCO. Uh, one of our texters asking if there are preservatives in your pork. Uh, well, not nothing that we add. Nothing that nothing, you add. Nothing yeah. that we add. So just depending on um, what you the, know, processor, where, what the does processor does. Yep, and they ask point. what label uh, they could look for to buy it. In so Kenyon. Our, so if you're in Kenyon, can you uh, buy from your farm or? Uh, yeah, Butcher so I, shop or? so I I do sell a few a handful locally mostly to you know, friends and family um, mm-hmm. not a huge amount um, you know all of our hogs go to Smithfield so if you see the Smithfield label in your grocery store um, you know that's coming from a farmer just like me so could, in Smithfield could be, could they're be, they're in Sioux Falls Sioux Falls they yep. process all yep. over the place right right yeah there's other processing plants they're, they're pretty pretty large company but that's where i mean that's where our hogs yeah so that i do think that's interesting when you see that label and you think oh that's a big company which it is uh but the reality is they're buying from you right right i mean that that's that's local that that's uh yeah a lot of that's come from minnesota farm minnesota is the number two um pork production state in in the u.s so i mean the the all likelihood of the the smithfield pork that's in the grocery store came from a farm that is Pretty close to you. What's your favorite cut, Mike? I probably would say ground pork. It's just so versatile. Ground we, we, pork? Yeah, Come on. I know. I know. Oh, that's so boring. <laughs> uh, it's not, but I mean, we yeah, make meatloaf. We make spaghetti. We make uh, not breakfast. Chop, you know, not, it's just, not a big old chop or a pork <laughs> I butt. Or, I like all that stuff too, but yeah. uh, smoke pork chops probably. That's, smoke, I love pork smoke pork chop is pretty chops. great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bacon, of course. Yeah, right. Bacon. Yeah. I, kind of, that's right. a lazy man's answer, I say. Everybody loves bacon. Uh, Mike, we appreciate you and all of the Minnesota farmers out there. I know it's uh, it's a tough it's a tough life and it's a competitive business, and we appreciate kind of all you do to help make Minnesota great. It's a key part of our state, I think. So I'm glad we had some time to talk about it today. Thanks for having me. Mike Patterson also brought me some pork, so it's it's a great day for Russia. I'll tell you that much. Russia eats continues. Here's your host, Jason Russia. Time for Derusha Eats, brought to you by the Minnesota Pork Board. We appreciate their support as they're standing up for pig farmers all over the state. And today, I'm so excited to have Chef Thomas Bamer with us from Revival. Thomas, thanks for coming in. Absolutely. Happy to be here. So you are still riding high off of winning the chili cook-off competition this weekend out uh, fundraiser at the St. Paul College that we did. That was pretty good. Absolutely. Well, thank you. That was a, it was a blast. It was so good to see everybody there again. And, uh, you, of course, you get to see all these great chefs and, and wonderful people in the community come out. So it was a great time. It was very good. You had to, you had to beat some heavy hitters to, to claim the title. 
Yeah, yeah, there was it wasn't it wasn't an easy draw, that's for sure. There was some uh, big talent in, in a lot of uh, like different styles of chili there, and that, that's why I right. thought it was cool. There was a lot of different approaches. Um, what but, makes a good chili to you? Beans? So, How do you come down on beans? So we're we're using a non-bean chili, right? And I can dig beans and chili. I'm not a like it has to be this way. Uh, you know, I like a lot of different types. But look, we're a barbecue spot, revival smoked meats. Um, and so if you're doing barbecue, we're using brisket and, and burnt ends. It's got to have no beans. No beans. No the, beans. The, the starchiness of the beans with the other action going on and the flavor, too much. When, and one thing is if you look at chili in a bowl of chili, in, in most chili that has beans, if you take the beans out, what's there? Right? So and that becomes then the trick is really how are you True. developing those flavors and the consistency in a full bowl of chili without the beans? And so what did you do? Well, lots of brisket. That's that's not a bad choice. (laughs) Right, right. Not a bad choice. So you uh, started here in the Twin Cities how long ago? Well, so, I mean. uh, You're from here. Yeah, I was born here in St. Paul. um, And, uh, you know, I moved around uh, all around the country. Uh, I moved to the Carolinas when I was five and grew up on the East Coast, uh, North Carolina, South Carolina. Um, moved, made my way to uh, Missouri and uh, then back up to Minnesota probably about uh, 20, 25 years ago. Do you think of yourself as a Minnesotan or more as a, as a Southerner? You know, it, I, you, I, I, I have always thought of myself as a person from two different worlds because, yeah. you know, especially here in Minnesota, you know, you talk to people like, oh, I grew up with this person. We went to school together. We did. So I don't have any of that right. connection at all. Right. Um, and... My you wife know. has a similar story where she wasn't born here. She was born in uh, – well, she was born in New York, mostly lived in Raleigh. Oh, wow. And then moved here her junior year in high school. And when you grow up, which let me tell you – That's a tough uh, That's a oof, tough draw. <laughs> right? Right? Junior and this year, area wow. is so like it, – it does feel like so many relationships are built off of who you went to school with or who you played hockey with or whatever the case Absolutely. Was. I mean, no question. You know, but now that I've been here, you know, when I moved back here, you know, it was, it was right into my professional career, uh, right into culinary school, right into, you know, and that's become really my family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the people in, in our industry, uh, the people that come to support our restaurants, you know, that's become my family. Did you find it hard to to break in or break through because you didn't have maybe the, all of those connections? You know, I think at, at, at first, um, you know, it, it's always tough in our industry to get that transition from, you know, learning to become a cook and when to take that jump to become, you know, a chef, right, mm-hmm. or an executive chef or to, um, you know, run your own restaurant, own your own restaurant. Right. And these are always, uh, you know, so, so I think we all, like in our industry, you, you kind of, that path is, is never really clear. Um, but I think that once we, you know, once we opened our restaurant, we took, took over a corner table, uh, my business partner, Nick, and I. What, what was your first job before, before corner table here? First job in Minnesota? Yeah. Uh, let's see. This would have been... You're thinking of how many kitchens you got kicked out of. Right. <laughs> um, so in Minnesota, my first restaurant job would have been the West St. Paul Ground Round. Nice. And this is back Throw in the 90s. Throw your peanuts on the ground and the right, whole right? bit, the popcorn. Yeah, yeah, but this is where I learned how to work a broiler, right? It was a big family, busy family restaurant, bar and grill type. Had and I mean... Crank it out. Full broiler, full of steaks, steaks and burgers, the whole crazy. thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and uh, but that was the, that was the first, first restaurant in Minnesota. Cool. 
I think there are a surprising number. You know, I think foodies tend to look down their nose at, like, the chain-type restaurants. Sure, sure. But I've found, like, you, a lot of the great servers in some of our fancier restaurants started in chains. A lot of great chefs had time as a cook in one of these chains because you have to learn to crank it out and learn a variety of skills. Absolutely. Well, it gives you systems, um, and it gives you some kind of structure to build upon, right? Uh, creativity and and is amazing, right? But we still we have to find our structure. We have to understand the business that we're in first. You know, I I, I made the move into hotels in what would be the early two thousands, uh, might even been two thousand or two thousand one uh, at Sofitel, which is the old French hotel in Bloomington. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know that was a real learning ground for me for those reasons. You know, it was a very you had this great structure these great chefs, you had a full bakery, you had all these kind of fundamentals of, of what it means to run and operate a restaurant and to be a chef and, and to be a cook and to, you know, and, and having that structure, understanding those things, I think is very important. Talking with Thomas Bamer, chef, owner of Revival and Revival Smoked Meats. Uh, Corner Table was a restaurant that helped kind of really elevated your profile in town when you took that over. But it was fried chicken that really made you famous. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, we had. Did you see that coming? I, you know, absolutely not. You know, we had, and, and it kind of came, you know, it came about in a very interesting way. Um, you know, we started bringing some kind of southern touches. I always believe that you cook like a writer. You write what you know. You cook what you know. In bringing ingredients and techniques for where I grew up and my, you know, journey around the country, uh, was just a very natural thing to bring onto our tasting menus on and corner table. And that kind of built a pen up by demand. And I think people considered me more of a Southern chef even before yeah. uh, Revival, which kind of fueled that, I think. Pretty interesting, right? What do you think makes your fried chicken so popular and so delicious? Well, so the when we did when we did the restaurant, we wouldn't do fried chicken at corner table. And this is right. the thing. It was very, I mean, people would ask and they demand. We did not do. When you do fried chicken, the restaurant has to be designed around that as a core offering. How, because, why is that? Because, you know, you, you you have to be able to do this. A lot of times you see people do with fried chicken is they might, you know, they might pre-cook it and then freeze it or do something like that because there's a very long cooking time. So for Revival, we know we're going to sell a lot of chicken lot every of chicken. single night. Yeah. So we can be frying that chicken all night long. And by the time you order it, it's perfectly rested. Mm. It's crispy. So it's how juicy. long does it take, like, to fry a half bird? Uh, you're, like, anywhere from 16 to 20 minutes. Oh, really? For a half bird. Because you're cooking it. Uh, you got to make sure it's cooked on the inside. Absolutely. But not overcooked. And you got to cook it slow. Like, remember that, you know, our mine, you know, my recipe, my technique for fried chicken comes from traditional fried chicken. That means it's cooked in a cast iron. And when you cook in that open pot, you know, which we mimic in our cooking process, it is a slow process. You don't get that high temperature of a 350-degree fryer. Right. And that tightens up the meat. You also get it not as juicy. So that longer cooking period is really important to great fried chicken. It's something that we started with right off the bat. Thomas Bamer is a chef and co-owner of Revival and Revival Smoked Meats. We'll talk about the shift into barbecue. I also, because Thomas is uh, so well-known for chicken, I do want to know when it comes to the fast food chicken, like, who's his favorite? So we'll ask we'll ask the KFC, Popeyes, maybe have some other restaurants that we don't know about. Where do you like chicken besides your own place? Uh, and we'll talk about smoking meat because I know a lot of our listeners are big barbecue fans and a lot of people try to 
uh, smoke their own meat at home. So I'm sure you've got some uh, advice for that. So we'll talk about that in more. DeRussia Eats brought to you by the Minnesota Pork Board. More with Thomas Bamer in just a minute here on Drive Time with DeRussia. DeRussia Eats continues brought to you by the Minnesota Pork Board on this Tuesday. Thomas Bamer from Revival and Revival Smoke Meats is our guest. And we went to break talking about fried chicken, and I have tried, uh, just like I'm sure you have, the, your KFC or Popeyes. And actually, I, I think it was Eater. I don't remember who did this whole article about Popeyes. But it sort of was trying to make the case that there's a reason that chefs like Popeyes get uh, chicken. And the theory was because Popeyes has this engineered so well that doing fried chicken it, once you figure out how you're going to do it, it's more uh, science than art. And they have different fryers at Popeye's and you cook the, the you know, drumsticks in one fryer and the breast in a different one. So it's got different cook times and different cycles and everything. But you've tried those uh, those places. What do you think? Are they good? Are they not? So, I mean, look, and I can get down on Popeye's, right? Just a regular fried chicken. Yes. Did you get a Popeye's? Is a pretty good fried chicken. It's pretty chicken, good, right? right? Yes. But this is the thing. They're using like little tiny birds and they're like really dirt cheap. And they're just like, you know, when you, you, if you take a Popeye's leg and you compare it to like a revival leg, you know, obviously it's a different thing. But the chicken's pretty good. Where Popeye's falls is the sides. I mean, they're just a real bummer. You know, they're a real bummer. Yeah. But the chicken, Popeye's, I think is the best. The chicken itself. All right. When you look at other restaurants in the Twin Cities, what are some of your favorites? I'm always interested to know where chefs like to go or where they bring their family. Where do you like to go? Oh, man. So I'm always a guy that, like, I, I keep close to where I live, right? And I live in, 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 in St. Paul off of Grand Avenue on, a, on off of Cleveland, right? So on, on kind of that end. So I kind of hang out around there. We'll cross the river and, um, uh, you know, hit Doug Flicker's spot. Um, and uh, I wish I lived closer to that. It's so good. Yeah, Bullshorn. It's Bullshorn. it's just it, one. You got a full bar there. Yes, right. You can bring the kids in. You know, you can just we can just hit it solo. Um, it's a really cool spot. I love that Gus Gus, which is a new spot that just popped open. Um, which is, I mean, you know, it's it's a it's a busy spot, but we love to just go and walk in there and hit the bar. Really cool spot. If you guys haven't been to Gus Gus, it's right on uh, um, on Cleveland there as well. It's right by yeah, right by St. Thomas. Right there, yeah, and it's it's, it's just a, great. It's uh, Gus Gus is probably my number one recommendation for people right now. It's just such a cool spot. It's just and, a cool you know, spot. The owners are there. They're so they're, nice. They're it reminds me so much of what what Nick and I did in Corner Table. Yes. It's like so much. It's like, and I just have so much love and respect for that. So, uh, really dig that spot. Um, you know, Mario's is a cool spot. That's also Saint right Paul there. Paul has something. a lot going on. Mario's is. Yeah. Uh, I, I I call it the best sandwich in the Twin Cities. That hoagie is right ridiculous. You know, when I saw it when they were talking All about it. All because the bread. I thought the bread was going to be like heavy and dense. Yep. I was like, well, we'll check it out, but I'm not going to like this. You know, I, and I eat it, and it's just so incredible. It's so light. It's so fluffy. It's beautiful. But it just the, what, the bread takes center stage 100%, and it's awesome. Great sandwich. When you started smoking meats, uh, and you did that at uh, Keg and Case Market, you had smoked meats, and you were doing it at events and things like that. You're yes, doing yeah. it at the restaurants a little bit, but uh, St. Paul at that revival, you've been smoking meats. But now you have a full uh, restaurant, and you have brought chicken in to the smoked meats yes, restaurant, yep, yep. right? Tell me about your approach to barbecue. So 
when I was when I lived in North Carolina, you know, the people that know Lexington, North Carolina, it is the uh, city with the most barbecue per capita in the United States, and they are known for their pork shoulder, and we call Western style or Lexington style. And so I have always emulated that, and that started way before the restaurant. First, we were doing it for a breast cancer fundraiser. Um, we did a big backyard barbecue, and this was, uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Um, and, and so it's just something that I've always loved that style. So when we approach barbecue at the restaurant, we're really kind of, my heart's always there. And you know, we've really become known, you know, for that pork shoulder and the brisket we do. Because there's not a lot of barbecue spots that do brisket, you know, every day on the menu, always available. Um, we're doing eight to 12 briskets every day, you know, more on weekends. And those take, you know, 12 to 18 hours to cook. It really depends, you know, uh, per day. And so it's just a lot depends of Depends on the brisket. Depends on what else is in the it, smoker. Absolutely. You can pull. And the one thing we do with the briskets is, right, we're we're – we're cooking our brisket, you know, over oak and hickory with no electric, no gas. So it's just a real kind of, you know, direct wood smoke. And the most important thing about doing that is, is you know, there's a lot of steps, right? And you know, I could, I could yeah. you know, write a, a, a book just on <laughs> yeah. how to, you know. But the most important thing to me, assuming that you do all the things that everybody does, is that when the briskets are coming out of the smoker, that you're looking at each and every brisket, we never pull our briskets out at one point in time. Each brisket gets selected when it's ready and meets the criteria to come out of the smoker. And so you may have some that are done at nine hours, which is crazy. And in the same batch, same day, you can have some that, that are huh. getting done. You know, and it's not always, you know, it's not the size of the brisket always. That, that's a factor, but it's, it's just wildly the density, different. The density, much, how much fat is in there. Yep, the um, moisture content on that, that particular huh. animal. There's a so huge fluctuation yeah. uh, from brisket to brisket. And, and you, you, the whole process of smoking brisket is really slow and low, right, to equalize some of right. those, you know, differences, right? But there's still, I mean, to get a great brisket, you've got to pick it each one at a time. What is the number one thing that you think the home barbecue chef should uh, focus on? What's the biggest thing that you think people maybe mess up or what they should do it, uh, positively? Sure. Well, I think the biggest thing, if you're, if you're getting into any of these long smokes, a pork shoulder, a brisket, you know, even ribs, is you have to learn about the crutch and, and learn to wrap your, your brisket mm-hmm. or piece of meat. Um, and, and I don't wrap every piece of meat, but I think for people that are starting out – um, if you're trying to throw a, a whole brisket on a big, big green egg and you don't wrap it at a certain point, you're going to burn it up. You're going to dry it out. It's, you know, it's, it's to, to really get that perfect, um, it's going to be really difficult. And that wrapping, when it gets to a certain temperature, helps hold moisture in. It kind of prevents, just like a baking a pie, right, it prevents yeah. over-darkening of the bark or you know, getting too you know, crispy. So it, it has its benefits. There's a lot of science in it. We could talk about it in depth. But fundamentally, if you're, if you're going to cook a brisket – Look into the crutch or Texas crutch. Get yourself some good butcher paper and, and do a little research wrap on wrapping. Yep, wrap it up. Wrap it up is good advice for this segment, too, I think. We're about out of time. Get that barbecue. <laughs> get, get it out. That's how it goes. Don't overcook it. Thomas Bamer, Revival, Revival Smoke Meats. You've got locations in Minneapolis, St. Louis Park, St. Paul. Uh, lots of catering as we get into the holidays. Too. Oh yeah, get into that catering. We're for, we're back on doing deliveries now. We've got food trucks for for parties and events. So yeah, give us a holler. All right, revivalrestaurants.com is the website. Thomas, thanks for coming in. We appreciate it.
Cheers. Thanks, Jason. Thanks so much for listening to the DeRussia Eats podcast on WCCO Radio, 830 AM. We do conversations with chefs, with farmers, with small business people every Tuesday and Thursday at 4 p.m. The podcast is available every week. If you enjoyed what you heard, I would love for you to leave us a review. Give us however many stars you can. I don't know, 10, 20 stars would be nice, five stars. And leave your feedback as well. It really helps us grow and helps support covering the food community here at WCCO Radio and in the DeRussia Eats podcast. If you'd like to email me with an idea or a question about the restaurant scene, you can email jason at odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y dot com. Jason at odyssey dot com. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time on the DeRussia Eats podcast. Thanks for listening to DeRussia Eats. Dan Cook is our producer. Jason DeRussia is your host. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. DeRussia Eats is a production of Odyssey.